0: Christ is enough is he more than enough wow I I don't know if you're kind of like me but I look at baptisms in a probably a little different way Um, we often wonder what it might have been like to be outside the tomb when Lazarus was raised from the dead and we might say well I've never seen someone raised from the dead And I say, I would beg to differ. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins were raised to life. And every person we see get into the baptismal font is a resurrection from the dead. We have seen a resurrection today, Father. We have seen a resurrection. That's an awesome thing. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. And I'm glad to see all of you here I'm going to be speaking this morning about decisions. That's what our text discusses today. We make hundreds of decisions every day. You may not recognize it, but you do. Uh, You actually made a decision to be here today. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Uh, But if you're like me, there are some decisions in your life that you really don't like. There's one in my life that I really rather don't like is What do you want for dinner tonight? (laughs) Man, I am not equipped to answer that question. Um, Because I could say something that's not in the house. I could say something that nobody wants to cook, including me. Um, I just have never been equipped for that question. But there's lots of questions and decisions that we get and process every day. I mean, every day, you probably decide carpool, bus, BART? Um, Double-double animal style or super burrito? (laughs) Apple or Android? Um, Who gets the remote for the TV tonight? All of these are things we decide, but there's bigger decisions in our life. Where should I work? Who should I marry? My child just came home from school today with a black eye. What do I say? Very quickly, decisions in our life can swamp our ability to respond. Um, Sometimes we make decisions without even making them. Do you know if you wait long enough, some of them go away? Have you ever been there? Um, You get that offer that you really looked appealing to change your cell phone coverage... And it looks like you save a lot of money, but you're not sure you want to do it. And by the time you decide, the offer's gone, and there's no need to decide it's off your plate. So there you go. You've made the decision without making it. But how should we be making our decisions? How does God want us to be making our decisions? We, as fallible, not clairvoyant people, how does God want us to be making our decisions that will be godly and God honoring? Well, that's what the topic of our sermon is this morning, or a message. It's God's help in life's difficult decisions. God's help in life's difficult decisions. And hopefully by the time uh, we're done today, you'll hear some hope and some encouragement and some direction on how God has provided for us a way that we could have help in our difficult decisions. Today's message is the fifth message in our series New Territory, Same God And we're talking about Joshua in chapter 9 today Where God has recorded for us A decision made by Joshua and the leaders of Israel That looks like they made a decision Without including God's perspective We're given an inside look On how easy it is to rely on ourself and what the consequence of that action might be. But let's take a moment just for God to prepare us for this. Father, I just thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you, Father, that it's powerful and effective. It's living, and it can open us up to expose us to what you want to say to us today. I pray, Father, that the Spirit would illumine the word for each person here and that it would empower us to apply and to do all that you tell us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 9 in your Bibles. It's page 157. If you're opening the Bible, that's in the pew in front of you. Um, and what I want to do here is as I, you turn, let me set the stage. Over the past few weeks, in the first eight chapters of Joshua, we've observed that Israel has seen and experienced some absolutely amazing things, right? Um, They were able to go through a parted Jordan River at flood stage on dry ground to enter the promised land. That's probably something you don't see every day. Um, Destruction of the powerful and high-walled city of Jericho simply by trusting God and walking around it that seems pretty incredible we saw the first defeat of the army of Israel at Ai because there was sin in the camp people had not followed the commands of God and what did God require the death of Achan and his family the destruction of his property when that was resolved God's blessing again returned to Israel and they defeated Ai now we say well maybe we think to ourselves wow if I'd have seen all that if I'd have watched the river the Jericho the destruction of I, the death of Achan I'd be really careful to do what God said Wouldn't, would you not okay well let's uh, read beginning in uh, chapter 8 uh, at verse 34 because it's a lead in that I think is important here let's see how Israel handled it. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the ites that you know. They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse, They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country to make a treaty Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? Let's skip down, if you would, to verse 14. The men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath this is the word of God now first we see in this narrative and the reason I start in verse 34 is after these great battles the people said okay we're back on course now Uh, God has removed sin from the camp we've defeated our next enemy we're on to the next battle we're ready we got it now we're we're not going to do this again we've got this now And then Joshua, to make sure, was asked to reread the entire law to the Israelite camp. Now, it's interesting. I'm sure that was important because it included the Ten Commandments. It included all the ceremonial laws. But I think one of the reasons it was critical is because I'm sure it included Deuteronomy 7. Now, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read for you two verses out of Deuteronomy 7 and see if you can understand why. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy now so here we are Um, Achan and his family have just been killed for disobedience to God's command Um, the words of the law have been re-repeated to them and all is right with the world they've all got it now we got the marching orders we heard what you said And so they've just heard, make no treaty, right? And here comes the delegation, and a bunch of refugees come in, poorly dressed. They have one statement to make, and it is, make a treaty with us. With the words, make no treaty with us, with them, still ringing in their ears, why do you think they even entertained the thought? Well the men of Israel suspected This may not be true And they said in verse 7 if you'll note The Israelites said to the Hivites But perhaps you live near us So how can we make a treaty with you What means Hey that would violate A command of the Lord And we just saw what violating A command of the Lord does My I just buried Achan I don't want to be next So I don't want to violate This command So I'm not really anxious to go here But before we talk about What the Israelites did With that decision Let's just look at the whole context here I think it's important Because the response of the the Nations that are inside of Canaan Really describe Really the split that happens in all mankind When faced with God And whether God has the right To rule in our lives Look at verses 1 and 2, if you would. It says, the first response is, "...when confronted with the power and fame of the Lord, the God of Israel, six kings, each of whom God in Deuteronomy 7 had already assembled, had accurately assessed them to be stronger and more powerful, they were now opposed to God and wanted to go to war with Israel." So when they heard about the power of God And the fame of the Lord their God They said we're not bowing our knee To that God We're going to go to war We can take them out We are stronger and more powerful We can win Which is very much Did you notice that these guys were Kingdoms that were not aligned They were separate kings But a common enemy God And God's people joined them together Does that sound familiar? In the New Testament, we read, Pilate and Herod became friends when they wanted to crucify Jesus. Enemies become friends when opposing God. The psalmist in Psalm 2 said, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Do you see it here? You'll have one response is to throw off the shackles of this Israelite band. We're opposing God. We're going to take them down. Then Then enter the Gibeonites. Now, their response is actually fear and submission. So who were they? And why are we even talking about Gibeonites? They weren't even on the list, were they? Were they part of the list you saw? Amorites, Girgashites, No Well you have to go to Samuel 2 Samuel 21 They show up again But at this point God describes them as Amorites So the Gibeonites were actually a city In the country or the nation of Ammon Ammonites And they were actually Part of the nation of the Ammonite nation But they had a different response they said, why did they break ranks with the rest of their brothers? That tells us. God thankfully tells us in verse 9 and 24. Verse 9, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God for we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. And in 24, when the Israelites found out that they had been They asked him, why did you do this to us? And they responded, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. Interesting, isn't it? That we have seven nations, six nations that largely said, we're going to fight and we have one little city that says, oh no. They had a response just like Rahab, didn't they? When Jericho was laughing at this army walking around, Rahab hid spies, said, I know, I know that God's going to do what he's promised and remember me. And they did. So, how could the Gibeonites survived knowing that they believed that they were part of the Ammonites part of the group they're supposed to be destroyed how could they survive well we got to make something real happen real fast and what was their plan God tells us in verse 4 they resorted to a ruse they came up with some a good story a lot of good theater props right they, they set out with moldy bread I don't even know what they ate on the way if all they had was moldy bread but okay they, they came they had worn out leather flasks. I don't know. They were cracked. Ever had a baseball glove? Do you know how long it takes a baseball glove to crack? A long time. So they came with cracked leather. Hmm. And they came with worn out clothes. And it's interesting that the story they told, if you'll notice uh, the story they told actually uh, when it says that uh, we heard about the fame of the Lord, but they said they, re- they restricted their comments to when you did in Egypt 40 years earlier okay they didn't tell the whole story did they they, did, they couldn't say hey we heard about what you did yesterday to I because if we came from a long way away we're out of touch so part of their story was hey I, I am so far away and I've got all these proofs so after this wonderful stage play what did Israel do well verse 14 tells us all we need to know It says the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. You might be thinking, what in the world? Did they just not hear, don't make a treaty? And here they are making a treaty. But before you're too hard on them, I think we've given them a little bit of a short stick here because they also know about Deuteronomy 20. Now you don't have to necessarily turn there either But let me just tell you this In Deuteronomy 20 God gave them instructions of how they would approach All the lands they were to enter Okay That not just Canaan but all the lands Far away, near And the instructions were different for those that were far away Versus those that were in the promised land And proximal Did you know that? They were different And um, if, you, if you look at Deuteronomy 20 on your own time Uh, if the city was far off, God instructed this. March up to the city and offer it peace. If they accept, then the people will be subject to forced labor, but don't kill them. If they refuse to make peace, then put to the sword all the men in the city and everything else in the city is yours to take. And in verse 15, we'll read the quote. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, verse 60, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. And he lists the nations as the Lord your God has commanded you. So what was the real decision here? Was the real decision... Treaty or no treaty? Mm-mm. That's a secondary issue. Was the real t- issue a good story, bad story? No. Just as in life, for us, the issue is not really the issue at times. Sometimes we don't do the right thing because we miss the issue. When dealing with a child and they're not eating their graham cracker, many parents will say, I don't, just because they disobeyed me, it's only about a graham cracker. So there's no big deal. Really? The issue is, who's in charge? Who's obeying who? It's not the graham cracker. It's not bath time. It's not bedtime. It's who's in charge and are they obedient? God doesn't really care how big the command was. He wants to know if you obey it. So here's the, here are the Israelites, and they're faced with a decision. So what was the decision? It really was, is this nation someone that's near or someone that's far because we have to treat them very differently if they're near we annihilate them I don't care what they ask for or what good story they have and if they're far we can treat them differently this is what we often do though what'd they do they relied on what they could see feel, touch, hear they relied on a plausible story they made their decision on what they saw and heard they were taken in the Gibeonites were ecstatic. woo We live! But they didn't see any way to live. They were rescued by them being unwise. But they ratified it by an oath. And I don't want to take a lot of time about this, but I want to let you know something. When, when this is said in the Old Testament, they ratified something by oath. This was critical to the Old Testament uh, Israelites because in numbers it says it is a sin to break your oath God says don't make an oath rather than not keep an oath but if you make it keep it I will hold you accountable in fact I will come to visit you and see if you paid it off be quick to pay off your oaths. so here, here's the problem here um they made an oath and they didn't even put a caveat in it. Remember Joshua chapter 2, the spies, they said, hey, thanks for hiding us um, and we'll o- make an oath that we'll save you and rescue you. But, if you tell on us and tell them what we're doing, the oath is off. Remember that? And, 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 I, and I'm saying, okay, these guys thought this was such a gimme in Israel now that then you don't have to put a b- caveat on this thing they can say we're so confident of this one we don't even need, need to say I, by the way if we find out tomorrow that you live next door uh, this is off <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they said okay this is the oath and guess what happens though after they found out they were duped the people of Israel were mad at their leaders how could you do this? How could you get taken in like this? I'm, I, they were grumbling against them. And then what happened? Joshua said something profound. In verse 20, he says, I have to keep, We have to keep our oath, people. We will let them live so that the wrath of God will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. He understood, okay I've already blown one decision I already let the Amorites live But I'm not compounding it And adding guilt to the nation of Israel By violating our oath Before God, then we'll get punished We're only stupid for not Wiping them out And making this agreement, we're going to get punished If we break our oath Now do you feel that way when you break Your promise Promises nowadays don't really mean a lot Do they, they're more like suggestions Suggestions they're flexible. They're, they're negotiable. When you commit to do something, how much can people rely on you? Or do they know that you're just waiting for a better offer? The other shoe to fall. I mean, when you offer to help someone move a task no one really likes doing, and you're the one with the only truck, and <laughs> someone sa- offers you in the meantime after you've promised... Super Bowl tickets? Cool (laughs) See ya You wouldn't expect me to come Help you move if I have Super Bowl tickets would you How good is your word How good is our word God wants us to keep our word He wants us to be people Of integrity and Joshua Got The favor of God For showing integrity It's interesting we wanted to say hey you made a stupid Decision suffer That's not what happened here He showed integrity by keeping his oath. So what happened next? Um, Well, the next thing that happened was the other kings, when they found out that one of their brethren groups over here might be able to live out of this thing, and they weren't, they were really upset. They were so upset that they changed the target of their battle from Israel to the Gibeonites. That's kind of what happens among thieves, right? If one of them... uh, Thinks out they're gonna go to get that guy first before they go to the common enemy. So we read that the kings went to attack Gibeon. So what did Gibeon do? Help. He calls out to Israel, the nation that's supposed to annihilate them, and says, Would you help us? Now there's a treaty. Now we must. And I'm sure Joshua is shaking his head. The t- the the nation I'm supposed to annihilate, I gotta save. So he goes in and he honors his word And he rescues the Gibeonites And in the process God allows them to have a great Victory over the other kings Now did they have to defeat the other kings anyway sooner or later Absolutely And God allowed that to happen In fact he did one of the most powerful Miracles ever seen in the Bible During this time after Israel made a bonehead decision But then kept their word God stepped in and says I'll rescue you And this is how he did it Joshua was pursuing the enemy. He's pursuing these five kingdoms, and they're winning the battle. And he says, God, we can win this thing, but we're going to run out of light. Can you make sure that it stays light long enough so that we can conquer the enemies you want us to conquer? And God says, You got it. And the sun stayed still in the sky for 24 hours. Now, I tell the astronomers to try that. <laughs> Okay, uh, it's never happened before. It's one, I, I really think this is a class by itself. When we see the, the reference to Elijah or whatever and the not raining for three and a half years, a natural phenomenon was stopped, as it sometimes does, for three and a half years. But this is a phenomenon that's never happened and probably will never happen again, and nobody can understand why it didn't break the universe. But he stopped the solar system in mid flight for 24 hours. What kind of power is that, people? What kind of power is that? that? That dwarfs. That dwarfs the Jordan River. That dwarfs the Jordan River. And what do you think the people saw? Whoa. And Joshua was given the battle. According to Joshua 10:14, 14, as the word this is described, it says, There has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man. Joshua was just an ordinary man but he prayed to the awesome God. Do you notice that? So there's three things that I think we can get out of this narrative.
1: Uh,
0: One um, is obvious and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it but our decisions have consequences. Sometimes we act like they don't but they do. In fact, those consequences could be immediate. You put your hand on the stove, the consequence is pretty immediate. Sometimes they lag behind. And you, don't, you think you've gotten away with it for 10 years, but it's always on your mind. When is this going to come up and bite me? And sometimes we get scars out of our decisions, scars that will last with us for the rest of our lives. There are, there are things that happen that we'll never get rid of, physically but God can get rid of the burden of the sin of it should be an obvious truth but let's live like our decisions have consequences second how we approach our decisions matters Um, we're all faced with decisions and some of them are even deception now you might think it's not fair how, I can't face deception. I mean, I, I'm, I have a hard enough time doing what I know. And we all know that every salesman you've ever talked to has never not completely been 100% truthful and accurate with you as you heard the sales pitch, right? No deception in there whatsoever. No ten, tendency to bias the story. But understand this. God says in Hebrews 3:13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you might be hardened by sin's obvious intentions. Sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful, people. It's going to sneak up on you and promise something good and deliver death. No fish, while swimming in the lake, thought, as he looked, ooh, something shiny. It looks like food. Whoop, why am I in a boat? <laughs> Okay, sin is just like that. We follow something shiny. It's deceitful. But understand, sin is ever-present and trying to trick us, just like these people did. So how, how do mankind typically respond to some of these decisions they must make, whether there's trickery involved or not? Well, one is the, one of the ways we see right here that Israel made the decision, and I'm not recommending this. When Israel was faced with determining the right actions they just went with human knowledge experience, what I can smell, taste, feel Um, if it made sense, must be true Um, How do we know that's all they did? Because God told us the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord Now the difficult problem with this is this was an answer that no person on the earth could have told them the answer to but who god could they have asked their neighbors and found out if these were really near or far no could they read it in the torah it's either near or far no god's the only one that knew the answer to that question but they didn't ask him and isn't that what we do we make decisions by sight this thing looks attractive the job offers more money it must be good I'm sure no one has ever said that. (laughs) Um, How about this? That car, it must be good. Look how shiny it is. The wheels. Ooh, the wheels. Okay, unless somebody actually checks it out, we don't know by appearance. Do you know there was another critical event in history that happened by sight? Do you know what that was? Genesis chapter 3. Verse 6 When the woman saw That the fruit of the tree Was good for food Pleasing to the eye And also desirable for gaining wisdom A good story She took it and ate it Directly in opposition to the command of God What changed her mind? Sight Human reasoning Do we ever use that To make our decisions? How about this one, circumstances, I've heard this so many times um, if the circumstances worth, work out it had to be God's will I mean if all these steps worked out that meant that God was leading right well let's take Jonah Jonah said, was told by God go to Nineveh yes, sir. and he says no I don't want to go to Tarshish instead and he might be telling himself even you know what I'm not sure that was all that clear he might have been you know Uh, it makes a lot of sense I think Tarshish makes a lot more sense I'll tell you what God I'm going to go down to the seaport and if there's a boat there that's available and if that boat is heading to Tarshish and if there's space on that boat and if I have enough money to pay the fare for that boat then I'll take all those signs as your will for me to go to Tarshish (laughs) so he goes down to the port and what's he find? a boat? Going to Tarshish? Room? He pays. He goes downstairs and sleeps down in the boat. Hey! God's will survive. I'm, I'm right there. Because God worked it all out circumstantially for me. Except it wasn't God's will. And God had to stop the ship mid-ocean in a storm, throw him overboard, and he became a fish dinner. <laughs> a dinner for a fish. And so what happened after that is the fish spit him up on dry land and he finally got it right. And he went to Nineveh. So could you use in our lives, do we put out fleeces that try to get around where we actually already know God wants us to go by working at, well, I kind of feel like he wants me to go here, but look at all these circumstances that are going this way. Don't trust circumstances. I don't think that's biblical. God never says go look at your circumstances and follow them. Show me a verse. I don't think there is one. Well, how about this one? Go with your gut. Now that's a real good one ever heard that? I'm just going to go with my gut follow your, follow your heart hey if it feels right how can it be wrong ok let's have an example did that, does that happen in this world? sure David on the rooftop sees a beautiful woman wow I want that I'm going to go with my gut I'm going to tell my guys to go get that <laughs> and I'm going to tell them to bring them right here and they did did he ask God should I do this did he ask his friends should I do this He just said, I want it I'm going for it I'm going with my gut What happened? Well, he committed adultery Which is a death penalty crime In God's law He murdered her husband Death penalty crime Who happened also to be One of his best friends And four of his children Were killed by the Lord In judgment Now Did that work out for him? No, he knew that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But he didn't check in with God. So without the restraining and controlling power of the Holy Spirit, our heart is a deceptive mechanism to follow for life. We cannot just go with our gut, people. (coughs) God has a better way. God has a better way. How about fear? Can fear bind us up? make us make the wrong decision let's look at Saul king of Israel God made him king himself gave him a task wipe out the Amalekites kill everything that lives including the livestock Saul starts on his task and then Samuel walks into camp and says why do I hear sheep why do I hear cattle what's going on and Saul says hey I did everything that God commanded kind (laughs) of almost He said, but we had to save some of the livestock for sacrifices. You know, that's important. And that's the time that Samuel also told them to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, what happened? When confronted, Saul finally said, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Why? I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Have you felt it? have you felt the giant specter of fear loom over the path you know God wants to take you to take fear it will try to make us give in to bad decisions peer pressure can be brutal can't it it's a fear what if i'm not accepted there's other kinds of fears i know many good young men and women have been captured in a bad decision possibly even driven by fear, because what if they don't want me anymore? What if this relationship won't work? I must give in. It's a fear. Does God want us to live our lives by fear? No, by the word of the Lord. If God says, don't do it, don't do it. I don't care what the fear says. Don't do it. And so part of this is, we can make decisions, and some of us today can be bound by fear in doing what God already has told us we should do. We're just we're too afraid to do it. We don't trust God that he can work out any of the circumstances that might arise. Should I tell my boss the truth? He might fire me. Yes. You should. How about anger? Can we be disobedient to God because of anger? Check out Moses. God told him to speak to a rock. What did he do? He was so upset that the people were mumbling and grumbling and murmuring and he was so fed up that it says he took his staff and he struck the rock twice. Now, God still made water come out from the rock. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. But what happened to him? God said to him, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community to the land I give them. So one decision, fueled by anger, prevented him from going to the promised land. What have what has anger cost you? What has fear cost you? What has going with your gut cost you? What have circumstances cost you? And what has walking by faith cost you? Well, I'm going to tell you there's three things here that what is their help for fallible people that comes from you know, God said in Second Peter, God has given us all we need to live a holy life Amen. and a godly life. So what is that? Well, our first and most valuable asset is what we call the Word of God. This is why it's Valley Bible Church. It's really simple and obvious, isn't it? If Scripture speaks, it's true. If it describes conduct for a believer, it's not optional. If our Lord and Master gives us commands, our job is not to question those commands, it's to do them. So, do you need to pray about it? Should I steal? Let I me, mean, Lord, should I steal? Should I commit adultery, Lord? There is no decision and no debate. There should be none. But the thing here is, where the Bible speaks, we have clear marching orders. Do we not? What, does the Bible speak about everything though no, no. Does a, show me the verse where we should take vitamins <laughs> okay uh, show me the verse that tells me the age you should buy your child a cell phone <laughs> okay where's the I know one Everybody, where's the verse that says that curfew bedtime for children should be 830 show me where that is it's not in there so what do we do Well, we might need some other kind of wisdom here, right? So what's another gift that God's given us? Well, godly counsel. We have been put into a family, people, of brothers and sisters. I don't care if you were alone before, you're not now. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have hundreds of brothers and sisters who can help in a trial. Help in a decision. May have walked the same exact path you had before you got there and have some insight for you. You were placed in a new family. I remember many years ago, I was involved. My, my wife was pursuing, my first wife was pursuing a divorce. I didn't want it. I had a seven year old daughter that she was going to be living with her basically two weeks out of every uh, four I mean, two weeks and on and every other weekend to me. I was terrified. Because I knew she wasn't going to be raised In the fear of the admonition of the Lord In that home I was freaked My dad didn't come to me and says, Hey believers don't need to be freaked They should be confident No anxiety What are you doing No he had a word for me His word was simple He says Tim Do you believe your, uh, that God loves your daughter More than you do I hate it when you ask no brainers Yes I do believe that dad Okay, if you were hit by a bus tomorrow and taken home to heaven, do you believe God can get her to heaven without you?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It's not my first option, though. And he just told me simply, relax, stop worrying. As long as you have her with you, be the best and godliest dad you can be. And when she's not with you, entrust her to the lover of her soul who is the father to the fatherless and you can trust that he will do a good job with her. And it freed me. I tell you, my my desire to control that situation went away. I was going to make some pretty dopey decisions. But that word of counsel freed me and changed my life. Well, how did it turn out? Well, you all have probably met my older daughter. She's been married 15 years now to a godly Christian man. She has five children who she loves and is teaching to love and serve Jesus just like she is. So, and it's him, not me. I wasn't hardly in the picture for many of those years. I had her on a weekend every other weekend. How much influence is that? God was faithful. Godly counsel can change your life. Would it change David's life if he had got godly counsel? yes third the last thing is wisdom from God we all know we need God's spirit Amen. for power and ability to live this Christian life yes, but there are things in, that we face and decisions we must make where only God has the answer now the, Isra- the Gibeonites knew this I mean they should have known this nobody on earth could have answered their question only God but God has provided us something that the Gibeonites or that the Israelites didn't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit and he says in James 1 5 if any of you lacks wisdom the ability to think act make decisions live life in a right way from God's perspective you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you did you notice how he gives generously more than you need you think I don't get enough wisdom from God no you'll get more than you need How about to everyone, to all? There's no one who is excluded from this everyone. If you're asking and you're a child of God, you will hear an answer. He promises. Now, what's the last one? The one we have trouble with. Without finding fault. Hmm. Has anybody ever said, when they finally come to ask you for advice, I was wondering when you'd get here. (laughs) It's about time. Right? Or... I told you so God is not an I told you so God And he says That he'll never say things to you like Why should I help you You, I didn't get you in this mess You got yourself in the mess Or how about um, Hey Isn't this the sixth time you've asked for this This, No Or how about this one Um, Hey I already told you And I'm not telling you again None of these things are God finding fault with how we, if we are sincere and in faith come, God, I don't know what I've done with the past answers, I don't really care. But I'm coming now, and I'm asking for wisdom. Do you believe God will give it to you? It's promised. Yes, yes, he, will. yes he will. Yes, he will. So now, there's one more source of wisdom that I think is astounding, and it's Jesus himself. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read this, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. When you have Christ in your life, you have the very wisdom of God in your life 24-7. When God lives in you, when Jesus is in you, you have access to something that according to Isaiah chapter 9 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Do you get it? The Wonderful Counselor lives in us. If you'd listen to him, the Wonderful Counselor. So the key to a godly life is Christ in us. This is the key. So we can ask for wisdom and he will give it to us but guess what? Even when we're not asking he's talking to us. He's showing us according to uh, the scripture it says that I will guide you with my eye on which way to go. He's already working to make sure you go the right way even when you're not asking. But are you listening? Do you want to go the right way? That's our question. Well, The key to a godly life is Christ in us because when we have Christ, more than wisdom is ours. See, we get forgiveness, cleansing, power, freedom over sin, peace, purpose. The list goes on. All of these are because of Christ in us. The hope of glory. Christ in us. So when you want wisdom, recognize where the biggest source of wisdom lies if you're a believer. Right here. Jesus is in you. And he is God's wisdom. Now we also know this is wisdom. And we also know the Spirit talks to us. But Christ lives in us. But you know what? If you don't know Christ, you don't have that wisdom. If you don't know Christ, you don't have that freedom over sin. If you don't know Christ, you don't have forgiveness and eternal life. So how are you making decisions that you are making today? Are you still using human methods? walking by sight, trusting your gut, going with circumstances, acting out of fear, acting out of anger, God would say no to all of those. And yes, to when the word speaks, do it. If it speaks, do it. Recognize our need for wisdom and ask for it in humility and faith. Remember that the wonderful counselor lives in us and he's ready to share anything we need. And seeking godly counsel from brothers or sisters because God has equipped them and ordained that we should bear one another's burdens. We should help one another. We're all going for the same goal, right? We want to arrive in heaven serving our master so he can say to all of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we all want? Yeah. We don't want to show up bruised, <laughs> battered, bad decisions, when injured. That's not what we want. We want all to finish well. I was just sharing with someone the other day. No matter where you are today, it's never too late to finish well. Yeah. Never too late to finish just look, if you doubt that all for a heartbeat, look at the thief on the cross. He started out that cross event, according to Scripture, ridiculing the Savior just like the other thief. His whole life was one big mess, sin, disgrace, failure. But at the 11th hour, he looks to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He was saved. It's never too late to finish well. So no matter where you are today, people, no matter where you are, you might have known Jesus a long time, or maybe today you don't know Jesus. And you don't have this peace, you don't have this wisdom. I pray that you would know Jesus today. It's as simple as doing what the thief did, putting your faith and trust and the one who can save your soul because he's paid the price and risen from the dead. And he lives on high to intercede for those that trust in him. I would just say, he stands ready to forgive us, set us free, and we all need the direction and guidance to navigate turbulent waters that are still ahead. Father, I thank you for your word that teaches us that there's more to go on than just our gut that you've given us precious promises in your word. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the access to wisdom. You've given us the source of a wonderful counselor that lives in us. We have the power of God to do all that you want us to do. Your promise is true. You've given us all we need to live a godly life. Let us claim it today. And for those, Father, that don't know Jesus, would today be the day they finally let go of whatever it is that's held them back and say I want this Jesus because I need help in life's difficult decisions I want to be saved in Jesus name, Amen